Irony is defined as an event that is understood to be something opposite to what it actually is. It is a contradiction between what is expected and what is reality. For an example, an irony is a police officer who gets robbed or a clown who suffers from depression or getting called to your boss's office expecting a raise only to be fired. Ironic is the fact that the most shoplifted book in America actually is the Bible. Reader's Digest reports that. Or ironic is that the condition of not being able to pronounce the letter R is called rhoticism, or as they might say, woticism. Well, today we come to and we mark what has to be one of the most ironic events in the historic account of Jesus. It truly is an event that exists as a contradiction between what is expected and what is reality. And that event this morning is the triumphal entry. Today our verses are found in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. Luke chapter 19, today verses 28 through 44. Our message today is entitled, The Ironic Entry. The Ironic Entry. Again, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word, the ironic entry. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28, it says this. After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who, those who were sent away found it just as, they, as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Dearly Father, we come today, and again, we praise you, we worship you, we thank you as our Savior, as our hope, as, as our peace, as our anchor today, as our foundation. Lord, we come today and as, as we see the events of our salvation, the, the cost of our salvation, the cross of Calvary. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. We did not deserve it. We do not deserve it. We did not earn it. We cannot. But in your gracious kindness, you've shown us great love. Lord, I pray that we would see you today as we study your word. I pray that you would speak today as we look at your word. I, I pray it wouldn't be my words or anyone else's words, but it would be the word of the living God that builds us, that shapes us, that informs us, that draws us to yourself. Lord, we come and we give you this hour. We, we pray that you're known in it, that you're glorified through it. We pray that you're pleased in it. We give it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today is known as Palm Sunday. It is a day that for ages has been a celebration of the coming of Jesus on a donkey down into Jerusalem the week of his crucifixion. Over the years, if you think about it, there have been countless services where the kids put on bathrobes and where people waved either real or fake palm leaves while the church either sings or they say, Hosanna, Hosanna. For us, it is the start of a joyful celebration that leads to next week, the celebration of Easter, we see it as a happy day, a day to be cheered. And yet, listen to me this morning, we have to be careful not to miss the irony of the day. In fact, I will tell you this this morning, we have to be very careful not to miss the warning of this day. You see, the message of Palm Sunday, the point of Palm Sunday is not that Jesus has come, but the message of Palm Sunday is rather, do not miss Jesus. And I'll just tell you, we, we celebrate and we should celebrate and we sometimes think the, the point is to say, Jesus has come and he's coming into the city. The point of the message is do not miss Jesus. I wonder in these weeks, this week, next week, I wonder how many people will celebrate Easter. I wonder how many people will make plans for Easter, will buy things for Easter, will decorate for Easter. I, I wonder how many folks will go to a church on Easter and then somehow they will remember Easter and yet when the time has come and gone, they will have missed Jesus. Well, the verses are truly telling us of the ironic entry today, and they are warning us this morning, do not miss Jesus. All right, let's go to our verses. We're going to begin this morning in verse 28. Verse 28. After he said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Going to verse 29. When he had approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples. Now, let me show you the timeline here as we begin verse 29. Jesus, on Friday most likely, he arrives at his friend's house, his dear friend's house, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. 
They for sure were glad to see him. He, no doubt, enjoyed these fleeting days spent with his friends. On Saturday, it was the Sabbath day, and I imagine it was a quiet observation there with his friends, a quiet day that came and went as he, as he celebrated the, the Sabbath with, with his friends, pointing to the rest that we have in God. On Sunday, the first day of the week, the movement into the Easter week begins to roll forward. And so now we start to see the events as they speed up. We start to see the events as we roll into the, the activities of the Easter week. On this day, it says he sends two of his disciples, verse 30, saying, go into the village ahead of you, and there as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Now, we know that it was a young donkey. The fact that no one had ever sat on it would have been understood that it was for a sacred purpose, that it was for a holy purpose. Verse 31. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. Verse 32. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. Now I want you to notice here in verse 32, no detail, not even the smallest detail is out of place. God's plan for the redemption of mankind, as big as it is, as, as profound and grand as it is, is exact and is perfect down to even the smallest detail. It was as he said it would be. Verse 33. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Verse 34. They said the Lord has need of it. Now I was thinking about this picture. This is an actual, this is an actual happening. I was thinking about this. We really do not know who the owners were. We have no idea. We do not know if they were friends of Jesus or how they knew Jesus. We do not know if they had any idea what the donkey would be used for. I'm going to say probably not. They had no idea. But evidently they somehow knew Jesus enough or knew of Jesus enough and they trusted him enough to watch their colt donkey be led away. I wonder when we get to heaven and people are making introductions. I, I don't know if that's how it's going to go or not. I don't know. But, but I wonder if we get to heaven and people are making introductions and they say, this is Peter. And they tell us all about Peter. And this is, this is Paul. Oh, this is Paul. And somebody says, and here is Stephen. Oh, so faithful. Somebody else says, well, that short guy over there, that's Zacchaeus. And somebody says, oh, and these smiling people, they are the people that had the donkey that carried Jesus to Jerusalem. And they said, the Lord has need of it, verse 34. All right, starting right here, I want you to be aware of something. I want you to get something. This is not what it seems. Now, we begin the 35th verse. I want you to see what we're about to study is not what it seems. 
understand this morning, this is not the record of a victory march to power. Now, there will be a day for that, but that's not what this is. This is not a victory march to power. This is not the record of people who entrusted Jesus, who knew and followed Jesus. It's not a record of that. This, sadly, ironically, is the record of people who missed Jesus. You say, well, how do you know that? How do you get that? Well, it is only two miles from this spot and it is only a few days from this point that the shouts of Hosanna will have faded away. It's just a few miles away. It's just a few days away when the, the shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna, they will be gone and they will be replaced this time with shouts of crucify him. Crucify him. We have no king. We have no king but Caesar. For sure it's not him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And as those palm branches become brown and become brittle and dry out, as they blow scattered along the roadside, understand this day is the record of a people who missed Jesus. Go with me. We're going to see this this morning. First is this, some miss Jesus because they didn't know who he is, who he was. Some miss Jesus because they did not know who he was. Look at verses 35 and 36. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. Now, I want you to see the picture here. Here's this, this group of disciples. Now, it's, it's probably a pretty large group. Some have come up out of Jerusalem to join the procession. Some have followed the caravan maybe as far back as Galilee. Others have joined in as they passed through Jericho and other cities. But now there's this crowd of disciples. And the Bible says they place their coats on the donkey. The donkey is let up. They place their coats on it. It says they line the road with their coats. Now, understand this. This was done as a sign of respect, yes, but it was normally done for a victor. Somebody's returning from battle and they've won the battle. They're victorious. They would line the road with coats as he came back into the city. Some great leader was coming to town, some great king, some great general was coming to town, and they would line the road with their coats. Well, now they have placed Jesus on this donkey colt, and they are lining the road with their coats. They believe their leader has come. They believe their victor is rolling into the city Jerusalem. They believe victory is at hand and, and victory is sure, and they believe Rome will be defeated. And they miss Jesus because they did not know who he was. He wasn't a military leader. He wasn't going to be a great general of an army. He wasn't a politician that would mount a rebellion. No, he was the Savior. The Lamb of God, their Savior. I was thinking about this. You want to know what is ironic? The word Hosanna in Hebrew actually means God save us or pray save us. Save us. 
And so Jesus comes into the city. He comes to cries of save us, save us. As he heads to the cross as the Savior, as he heads to the cross to secure their salvation, the cry is save us, save us. And they did not know who he was. You see, they wanted a king, but they did not know he was coming as the Lamb. Another reason they missed Jesus, they did not know why he came. They did not know why he came. Look at verse 37. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, now I am told, I've never seen it, but I'm told at this turn in the road, at this place of the descent now going into the Mount, off the Mount of Olives, that you can now see Jerusalem. And so they've started the trip and they're moving in a procession and they turn and all of a sudden you can see Jerusalem. At that point, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles that they, which they had seen. Notice it says they cheer, they praise God for all the miracles which they had seen. I think that's a profound statement. It wasn't for the lamb who had come. It wasn't for the Savior who was coming. It was for all the miracles that he had done that they cheer. Verse 38. Shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, Psalm 30, uh, verse 38 here, it is a quotation of Psalm 118. It was clearly a song about the Messiah. It was speaking of the anointed one of God, the promised one. It was talking about the Messiah, the king. And so they are saying, as he comes down into Jerusalem, this is the Messiah. This is the long-awaited promised hope of Israel. Yes, that's what they are saying, but they do not know why the Messiah has come. You see, they think that he has come to unite the nation and to assume his throne. They think that he's come to mount up an army. They think that he's come to miraculously, if necessary, defeat Rome. If an army can't get it done, surely miraculously this one can. And their hearts are, we're back as a nation. Our nation is back. And some of them miss Jesus because they do not know why he came. Still, there were others there in this crowd and they missed Jesus because his coming was too inconvenient for them. Really, just honestly, his coming was too costly for them. Listen to verse 39 and 40. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. These Pharisees, these religious leaders, they know what the people are saying. They would have recognized the psalm. They recognize it as a song of the Messiah. And so they, they say to Jesus, silence your followers. Do you hear what they're saying? Call them off. I wonder, I've thought about this. I wonder the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the experts in religion, the scribes, the experts in the law and the word of God, the priests, I wonder how many didn't know that he's the one. 
And maybe they really didn't know he's the one. And maybe, maybe they should have known. Maybe they had all the things that would have pointed to them knowing. But, but maybe I wonder how many of them didn't know, really didn't know he is the one. But then I also wonder how many knew he was the one? How many saw that scripture was lining up? How many saw that the prophecies were being fulfilled, but they didn't want him? They didn't need a savior like that. It would cost them their position. It would mess up the system that made them rich and respected. And I wonder how many could see this is the Messiah, but they didn't want him. Watch this. Old Testament prophet Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, listen to this. Here's what he says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, and he is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. I wonder how many of those guys could see this procession. And they can see it as it comes down in the city, and they can see as it turns at this point, and they can see as it comes into sight, and there he is, and he's not on some great mount. He's not on a chariot post for war. He is on a humble donkey. And I wonder how many of them in their hearts knew, this is the one, this is the one, but they didn't want him. They miss Jesus because he's too costly for them. Verse 41. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. A very profound verse, a very telling verse, a very important verse. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. Verse 41, this is the picture of irony. They are cheering the king. They are celebrating the king that is coming. The king is not cheering. The king is weeping. The Greek word here means, translates audibly crying. Some, some say that it's even as strong as sobbing. And so I want you to understand as they turn and as Jerusalem becomes into view there, that it's not just tears that are falling. It's not just a, a sadness that is welling up. It is a deep sadness that now bursts out and he begins to cry and they can hear him cry, even sobbing as he looks at Jerusalem. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. Now, you might read that and say, well, what would make for peace? Well, how, how would they have found peace? They would have found peace in trusting God. They would have found peace in listening to the word of the prophets. They would have found peace in walking in obedience and receiving their Savior. There was not going to be peace in the conquering of an army. There was not going to be peace in the occupying of a city. They'd missed the way of peace, and now Jesus says, now they won't see it. Verse 43 and 44. For the days will come when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. Verse 44. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time 
of your visitation. Jesus says, because they did not see, because they missed their Savior in judgment, that's what it's talking about here, in judgment, because they missed the Savior, because they didn't see, an enemy will come and besiege the city. And they will tear it apart. And he says, as they destroy the city, not, not one brick stone will be left laying on top of another. They will demolish the city. It's very interesting. We know and history records in A.D. 70, the Roman emperor Titus, he surrounded Jerusalem. He blocked it off. He built ramps over its walls. And he destroyed the city, just as Jesus said. Right here this morning, I want to point out some things that we need not miss in our day. And I want this to apply to our day. I want us to think of it in the, in the view, in the lens of our times. And I want to point out some things today we need to be sure of, we need not miss in our day. Now, the first thing is this. In this scene, I want you to notice this. I want you to be sure of this. In this scene, we see the heart of Jesus. You want to know what his heart was like? You want to know what, 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 what his heart was like? Listen to this. Do not miss this. I want you to be sure of this. We see the heart of Jesus. Here he is. He's making his way to Jerusalem. He's making his way ultimately to the cross of Calvary. And as he surveys the city below, our Savior, the Bible says, breaks into weeping. And he cries out. The Bible says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And we see that, that Jesus is grieving here and his heart is broken here. Folks, I want you to hear me. Listen very carefully. Jesus wants, desires, longs for all people to be saved. Jesus longs, desires for all people to see him and to know him and to find him and to trust him. And yes, Jesus is heartbreaking over those, broken over those who do not. But listen to me, but he does not make them. Do you understand that? He doesn't make them. Oh, he longs for it. Oh, it breaks his heart when they do not. But he does not make them. We do not see unconditional election on the descent into Jerusalem. We do not see irresistible grace on the trip into Jerusalem. But I want to tell you what we do see. We see a Savior whose love is great and whose grace is infinite. We see a Savior whose mercy is offered and who longs that they would receive him. We see a Savior whose heart is broken that they do not. Oh, what a Savior we have. What a Savior we have. I want you to see this as well. And we need to be sure of this. And we need to be clear of this today. There is a judgment for missing Jesus. We see that in this account. There is a judgment for missing Jesus. Why does Jesus weep here? It's because they miss him. It's not because the cross is coming. He, he weeps because they miss him. He, he, he weeps because their judgment is coming Some of the saddest words are found at the end of verse 44. Listen to this. Because you did not 
recognize the time of your visitation. He says there's going to be a judgment that comes. There's going to be an enemy, and they're going to come, and they're going to lay siege to the city. And the reason is it's going to be because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And listen to that word, recognize. It means they didn't see it. It means that it was there. It means that it was available. Their Savior had come, and they did not recognize him. They missed Jesus. Today there is a judgment for those who miss Jesus. And it will not this time be the fall of a city, but it will be the removal of God's grace that is offered. It will be eternal judgment and the reality of hell. There is a judgment for those who miss Jesus. Are you listening this morning? Are you hearing the warning this morning? Today we read the sad, ironic account of people who called out for a Savior, Hosanna, and yet who missed their Savior, Jesus. Friends, I want to tell you the good news this morning. I want you to hear the good news this morning. Listen to me. It need not happen again. It need not happen again. Some of them miss Jesus because they didn't know him. Well, I want to tell you the good news this morning. I want to tell you who he is. His name is Jesus. He's born in Bethlehem, just as promised. His name is Jesus. He grew up in the region of Galilee, just as promised. His name is Jesus. He's the seed of the woman, the descendant of Abraham. He comes out of the line of Judah. He is the son of David, just as promised, don't you miss him today? His name is Jesus. He's the one who trained the 12. He's the one who preached on the mountain. He's the one that fed the multitudes. He's the one who healed the sick. Don't you dare miss him today. He is the, name, his, he's the one who came when the time was right and he forded the Jordan River and he passed through Jericho and he ascended up to Jerusalem. There he stayed with friends. He rode a humble donkey down into Jerusalem. Don't you miss it today. He is the one who was whipped without mercy. Who is the, he is the one who was mocked by his own nation. Can you imagine that? He is the one that was nailed to the cross where he breathed his last and he died. Don't you miss Jesus? He is the one, I want you to hear me this morning, praise the Lord, who did not stay dead, but he defeated the grave and he left that tomb and he stands in victory today. Do not miss him today. Do not miss him today. There were some that missed him because they did not know why he came. Well, I want to tell you, I can clear that up as well this morning while we're at it. Listen to this. Jesus, the one of Nazareth, the one born from Bethlehem, the one from the region of Galilee, the, the Savior of the cross, Jesus, listen to me. He came as the Messiah, yes. He came as the Christ for sure. He came as the Savior. That is what his very name even means. And he came, and the Bible is very clear. Listen to this. He came to redeem the lost. That's what the Bible says. He came to ransom the many. He came to pay for sin, not just of ours, but the Bible says of those of the entire world. 
He came as the expression of love. In fact, I will tell you today, no greater love has any man ever shown. He came as the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for sinners. He came as the Son of God, the only one able to save. He came as the Son of Man in the position to save. He came as the author of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, to be the saving object of our faith. And I want to tell you, if you're getting mixed up, if that's too confusing today, listen to Jesus himself. He says in Luke 19.10, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Do not miss Jesus today. Do not miss Jesus today. Some miss him because receiving him, they thought, would be too inconvenient. They would be, it would be too costly. Well, let, me, let me tell you about this one as well. Jesus came not to burden us, but he says his burden is light and his yoke is easy. Jesus came not to condemn us. He says we stand condemned already, but by faith in him that we are saved. Jesus came not to push us away, but rather he came to draw us in. Jesus came not to remind us of our guilt. We already stand condemned under the weight of our guilt, but he came to carry our shame far away. Jesus came and he calls us by name and he calls us home and he calls us family and he calls us friend. And one day the Bible says he will call us by a new name. Jesus came not that we would begin to work for our salvation, but that we would trust in his finished work in the cross of Calvary. Listen to me. If you think it's still too costly to follow Jesus, Jesus himself tells us in his grace that the water of life is without cost. Do not miss Jesus. I want you to hear me today. He is your hope. He is your answer. He is your savior. He is your anchor in the storm. Do not miss Jesus today. Do not miss Jesus today. Week before Easter, famous story. The point is this, listen today. Know who Jesus is. Know why he came to seek and to save that which is lost. The remedy for sinners. Understand he is your hope. Your only hope. Trust Jesus today. Let's pray. During Father, we come. Lord, we, we come and I, I see you stop. And I can't imagine the Savior, the creator of all things, the creator of God. He breaks into tears, breaks into sobbing over those who would not have it. Lord, I pray that we would not be so hard. I pray that our ears and not be so distracted. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't deem our lives too important and following you too costly. And Lord, I, I pray that in the hearing of the gospel, the truth, the hope of a risen Savior, that hearts turn today, this morning. Pray that any barrier would be removed, any hindrance would be stopped. And I pray in the hearing of peace, hearing of good news, that many would be saved, even this hour. Lord, we come as the church, those that are our saved, those that have trusted you. And I pray, Lord, that we've been encouraged today that our Redeemer stands and our hope stands and our Savior lives. I pray, Lord, that we will be ambassadors of that truth, of that gospel. 
Lord, I pray in a dark, dark world that we would hold that light even ever higher. Lord, Lord, we come and we just tell you, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I, I say it every week. I don't want you to grow numb to it. It truly is the most important time of what we'll do today. We preach. We're told to preach for a time of response. The people will respond to the truth of God's word. I want to tell you there's a Savior. I want to tell you there's hope today. There's forgiveness for your sin today in the person of Jesus. If you'll trust him today, he'll save you. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. If God is speaking to you, if you're here and you'd say, you know what, I'm tired of, of running. I'm tired of a treadmill that gets nowhere. I'm tired of trying to work for something I can't earn. And you'd say, in honesty, you know what, I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry. I'm sick over that sin. Oh, but I see my Savior, the remedy for sin, and today I turn to him. You come, let's settle that today. You come, and let's publicly declare that to the church today. Maybe you're here and you've made that decision, but you've never fought in believer's baptism. You come. What an awesome thing to say. You know what, I stand with Christ. And I want to show it, not as part of my salvation, but in testimony to it in the, in the act of baptism. You come as well. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll stand on his word, his truth, preaching, proclaiming, teaching for his glory until he comes again. Maybe you're here and you want to come pray at an altar today. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Nothing is too big, nothing is too small. We have a gracious, kind God. I'm going to ask that no one would start about, no one would head for an exit. You pray for those who are making decisions. As we stand and sing, if God has spoken to you, if you have a decision to make, you step out. You come on, I'll meet you here.